How many people have seen somebody use CPR or have had to use CPR before? Maybe three or four people raise their hands. And I say, well, how many of you have had a family member or a friend or you yourself have experienced depression or anxiety? And you always see almost the entire class raise their hands. But in your health classes, you're taught CPR, but you're not taught about mental and emotional health. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Interesting People Podcast. Today I'm joined by Chloe Wildman, Miss Outstanding Teen 2017, Miss Maryland. How's it going? I am fantastic. I'm very happy to be here today. Thank you very much for having me. Quick backstory. We ran each other during Christmas Cash for Kids, our sister station's yearly charity run. You came on here and helped us out with that. So first, thank you, thank you. Thank you for having me. Seriously, that was one of the most fun days that I've ever had having my crown. That was one of my favorite appearances. And honestly, it was incredible to see how much money you were able to raise in such a short amount of time. So you you're part of the Miss America pageant. What's the background of that and your title? The Miss America organization has a sister organization called the Miss America Outstanding Teen Organization. They're very, very similar. They have different boards, of course, but they are basically the same thing as far as competition is concerned. Very much of the things that you go through are the same between the two pageants. But it's really cool because you're able to be paired up with a sister, more or less. So Miss Maryland would be my sister queen. And as a local, you get a local Miss as well. So it's really cool because you're able to introduce yourself into something new. But I was really scared of it at first. I started just short of two years ago, which is very short amount of time for somebody in the organization, typically. And when I started, I was very, very awkward. I <laughs> was very anxious. And unfortunately, I kind of I had the misconception that the Miss America organization was a beauty pageant like a lot of people do and that it was based majorly on beauty. I'm not very proud of myself for that, because now that I've experienced it, I know that it's far more than that. It's very much based on community service, your talent, like your ambition, like what you want to do for other people and is it going to impact it's so much more than a beauty pageant and that's something that i've been able to learn over these past two years how did you run into it then were you watching miss america pageants when you were growing up or did someone ask you to join yeah so my french teacher actually asked me one day in class if i would be interested in competing because she knew one of the directors and the director had asked if she knew anybody who would do well and it took me two years <laughs> to say yes because I was just so scared. I was so nervous. And I came from having depression and anxiety, and I was terrified that it would make it worse. But it's actually helped me alleviate those things because I've been able to focus my efforts on helping other people with the same thing. So, for instance, my platform through Miss America is mental and emotional health awareness, suffering and silence, mental and emotional health awareness. And I've been able to implement a curriculum in Allegheny County, where I live, which is about mental and emotional health awareness. And now I'm currently working on bringing that to the state level. So being able to put your efforts into somebody else kind of helps alleviate the depression and anxiety that I went through and helping others. Is the pageant scene, is that your first time when you were really performing in front of people? Do you have a drama background or anything like that? Was the two years learning how to work crowd? So I started out, I've, I've always performed since I was little, even if it was just little things like when I was probably six or seven years old and I loved going to Sunday school. So I wrote this ridiculous Christian song, but I performed it for my Sunday school. So ever since then, I've written ridiculous songs and performed them for little recitals. And I took voice lessons for about a year when I was six years old. And then that stopped once I moved. So I moved to Maryland when I was 11 years old from an abusive household. That's kind of where the depression and anxiety came from. I put a lot of my feelings into my music. And that was when I really started writing. And for a birthday gift, when I was turning 14 years old, my mom found this studio called Atrium Audio in Lansing. 
Lancaster, PA, and put together this day where I could go in and I could record cover songs. I was to get five songs together. I got these five songs together, and when I went out to Atrium Audio, I had 8 a.m. until 8 p.m., and we went until 11 (laughs) a.m., so we had all that time left. So they asked if I had any originals that we could work on, and when I pulled out my original song and we started working on it, they really liked my sound, so they wanted to keep working with me, and that's how my music came to be, and I was able to make my own EP. So I have one single, which is called Paralyzed, and then I have an EP called Unbroken that has four other songs on it. They're all on iTunes and other media platforms. Then I played in front of people at little restaurants and that kind of thing, and that was where I started gaining a little bit of confidence, and I think that's what eventually led me to say, okay, you know what? I'll try competing. I'll do it once if it doesn't work, and I told myself if I don't win first time, then it's not meant to be. That means that you won the first time then? Yes. So <laughs> yes. So I started, whenever I started, I did Allegheny County was my first pageant that I ever did, and I originally did it again because I finally brought that confidence, and you know, it does bring scholarships and I do need that desperately because I live in a very low-income area. So I decided to compete, and when I competed for Allegheny County, there were two people that had never competed before, and then there were two girls who had been doing it since they were little kids. So I was absolutely mortified (laughs) because I was just like, I have zero experience. Why are they have been doing it since they were little? So whenever it came down to crowning, I kind of already figured that I was a first runner-up because there were two titles that you could get. You could either get the top title of Miss Allegheny County's Outstanding Teen or Cumberland outstanding teen. They called Cumberland and first runner-up for Cumberland. And I was like, okay, so I'm first runner-up and the other girl who's been doing it for forever is Allegheny County. And they called the other girl for first runner-up and my face was priceless because my jaw just dropped and I was like, (laughs) wait, that can't be right. And so then they called me up and I had won and then I had states, which was a whole new kind of scary. (laughs) But I'm really glad that I've done it because it was completely unnecessary to be so scared of it because it doesn't have to do with beauty. As long as you're working and you're doing the things that you should be with your title and you're driven to help other people, then you're bound to do well. So when you went up to the state level then, were you surprised with some of the other platforms you saw or did it help you find extra inspiration? for your mental health platform? I was inspired by the fact that all of the girls have something that drives them. Everybody has something that they're passionate about and that they're creating these events and these plans for that they want to change the world, which just makes you even sadder to look from the outside in and look at the fact that people are judging them because they're in a pageant, whereas these people care so much about something that they're willing to go through all of that ridicule in order to make a difference. That's what's so important and what I wish other people would understand. Your reign began in June. What are some of the plans you have for the rest of your reign then you're you still have the crown until next june right i plan on again bringing my curriculum up to the state level and that's what i've been working on and even if i get told no you know what at least i tried i'm also putting together a benefit concert and festival that i created last year the first annual harmonies for hope benefit concert and festival that goes to my nonprofit, extraordinary hearts foundation that i had established about a year ago this year we'll raise money for children's miracle network and will be sent to them so you have a nonprofit. You started that after you became Outstanding Teen? Well, I started the organization about a little short of two years ago, but I established my nonprofit before I became the state title holder. When I was Miss Frostberg's Outstanding Teen was when I established my nonprofit. Can you tell me a little bit about Extraordinary Hearts? The Extraordinary Hearts Foundation raises money for families that have extraordinary medical needs and emotional needs to handle the situations that they've been given. And so I've raised a little over 65 for Children's Miracle Network through that. I 
will be holding the Harmonies for Hope benefit concert under that. I've also held rummage sales under the nonprofit in order to raise money, which people would be surprised how much money you can get. One man's trash is another man's treasure. There we go. (laughs) (laughs) And I plan on doing a lot more with that. And even going into college, I'd really like to continue the annual events. How difficult is it to start a nonprofit? It was pretty difficult. Originally, I was inspired by the fact that whenever I would go to visit the Children's Miracle Network hospitals, I would go down there and there would be these kids who they're going through all of this. These things that we can't even imagine. We couldn't imagine dying tomorrow. And there are these kids who are smiling and joking and doing impressions and playing with puppets. And they're totally fine. It's because they don't know anything else. Like, they've been given their cards. Whereas if we had experienced life up until our 20s, we would be upset if that was taken away from us. But for them, it's just whatever day is coming next is a gift. So I was inspired by the fact that they had these extraordinary hearts, quote unquote. (laughs) It's actually really funny. So my nonprofit was finalized on Valentine's Day, February fourteenth. Really? Yes, <laughs> for Extraordinary Hearts Foundation. The official binder is burgundy, which is my favorite color. <laughs> <laughs> There's plenty of just little things with that, but I guess it wasn't as difficult because when you're so driven with something and when you're so inspired by those kids. So there was this little girl named Paige that I visited a couple times, and she did these Freddy Krueger impressions. This little girl was seven years old, seven years old, and was doing. Freddy Krueger impressions for me in her hospital bed with pneumonia. And I could not stop laughing. And she was good at it, too. (laughs) She was good. I was impressed. She's not in the hospital anymore, but she actually has an allosotomy because her intestines aren't able to process things. You see her running around, and you would not know her from any other child that you see on the playground, but she's gone through so much. Since that inspired me, I mean, it is difficult, and it's a lot to figure out. You know, you have to find a mission statement. You have to find the right paperwork. You have to... However, it's totally worth it. So I guess I can't really see it as being a difficult process because when the the end result is so great. There's nothing that compares. So where do you plan on taking Extraordinary Hearts? Is it something you want to keep growing for the rest of your life or pass on to someone else? I'd like to. I think that everybody reaches a point in their life where things hit them that they don't expect. If it got to that point, I would still like it to continue. So I'd probably pass it on to somebody. I would never want it to just not exist. I don't want it to just go away and fade away because I think it's important. And I'm really proud of what I've brought up and what I've continued to work on. Also speaking of the future, you plan on running into future pageants once you go off to college or is this the end of the line, so to speak? I'm not sure. I've thought. <laughs> I've thought about it. I love the organization, so I would really like to, but at the same time, I want to make sure that when I go to college, I'm very focused on school. I want to be a clinical therapist, so I'm going to be in school for a very long time. I'm going to be getting my doctorate, so it's going to take a lot of work and a lot of dedication, and I just want to make sure that if I were to run for a title, that I wouldn't be too split, because I think as a title holder, you have a job. That is your job, and you have to be devoted to it, and I don't want to take up somebody else's spot that could do a better job if I'm so split between the two things. For right now, I'm just planning on going off to college and letting pageants be my Miss Maryland title and then (laughs) going off and continuing the rest of my life and starting a new chapter and working on becoming a clinical therapist. You have like a sister with Miss Maryland. So you two have worked together. Have you done any events together? We've done a few. Not a whole lot just because we live so far away from each other. I love spending time with her. And I love the fact that when we do get to do events together, it's a sisterhood. And I think that's also something that's a misconception is that people assume that because you're in pageants, it's cutthroat and the girls don't like each other. And it's like the things you see on TV. It's like Honey Boo Boo, for instance, is what I get all the time. I always get the question, is it like Honey Boo Boo? I'm like, no, it's not like Honey Boo Boo at all. It's a sisterhood. And actually my best friend 
friend is Miss Mississippi's outstanding teen, Holly Brand. Really? Yeah. So when we met at nationals, we met because she was trying to take a nap on the lunch table and I was jealous and wasn't going to let her nap. So I laid on top of her <laughs> so she wouldn't fall asleep. So that's how we met. And we still talk. <laughs> that sounds like you're trying to make sure she didn't get enough sleep to perform well enough for the competition. No, no don't let people think that. But it was just funny because like we're all sitting there having conversations. She just puts her head down. And I was like, no, no. If we can't sleep, you're not sleeping. So I just laid on her. I was like, hey, you're pretty comfy. And started making her laugh. And from then on, like anytime we were around each other, because we were so tired and it is such a, it is a scary experience because you're nervous. This is a national pageant. So we would just giggle every time we were around each other because of it. Oh, oh my gosh, it's hilarious. But we still talk. We still FaceTime. In fact, I just talked to her yesterday. I have a picture of her in my room. I have a couple pictures of her and I in my room, actually. And it's amazing the friendships that you get to make because you're with these girls that are just as inspired as you are and just as driven as you are. Whereas sometimes that's harder to find when you're not out in a group that you know for sure you're all sharing those qualities. I haven't met a single girl who's been cutthroat, like mm -hmm. a lot of people assume. I love spending time with my sister queens and with the girls that I get to call my family. The pageant perception, so to speak, with like movies and stuff like that. Is there anything that you actually like, oh, they nailed it. World peace. No, I'm just <laughs> kidding. <laughs> no, okay. Is that like an inside joke? You guys all like walk by we each other and you're like, world peace. Because of Miss Congeniality. In fact, this year was really bad. At States, we just all walked around and said world peace the whole time. <laughs> but it, it's so funny because I actually saw this thing where some kind of newscaster I was talking about it and said, you know, why do Miss America girls get asked harder questions than the president? Yeah. <laughs> I was like, that's so true. <laughs> you could be asked about Syrian refugees. You can be asked about immigration. You can be asked about anything in your interview. And you need to be on topic in like 60 seconds, right? You have 20 seconds, actually. Oh, to really? answer, yeah, on stage, you have 20 seconds to answer your question for on stage question. For your interview, you for a teen, you have eight minutes. And for a miss, you have 10 minutes. But you want to make sure that you get all the questions that you want in your interview. And you have to make sure that you're saying the things that you want in your interview. It's, it's a very calculated process. <laughs> you don't want to be rehearsed. You want to be very genuine because mm -hmm. like that's who you are. But you also want to make sure that you include everything that you need to. But. Is it like a cram session back there where y'all just look at each other just like, North Korea, South Korea, 20 seconds, go. <laughs> More or less. We do help each other, though. Like, that's the other thing. Like, we're very supportive of each other. If you walked around a pageant, you would see girls asking each other questions. Everybody's just very supportive of each other. And even when it comes to something that's that stressful, because I think everybody's least favorite part of competition is the onstage question, because you're not only answering for the judges, but you're answering for the entire crowd of people. And if you stutter or you mess something up, you could lose your 20 seconds. It's very nerve-wracking. So it's nice to know that there are other girls there that are willing to help. More or less, we just try to figure out our stance on things. That way, when we are asked about it, we still come across as genuine because we don't have a rehearsed answer, but we know that we have an opinion on it. That's something that I think is kind of surprising once you start in the pageant process is that as a typical person, yeah, you have opinions on things, but there are a lot of things that you don't because you just don't, you either aren't as educated on it or you just don't really have an opinion on it. But for something like that, you have to have one. You kind of have to look at these issues, these world issues that you made out of before, and especially as a teen, have to research and develop an opinion. I mean, that's very helpful, especially for day-to-day -day conversation, but it also means that most of the teens that compete in Miss America also get along with adults better than <laughs> typical teens just because of what they're interested in and what they have opinions on. It's very helpful for your future, of course, especially as far as the interview process is concerned, because now I don't have to worry about going in for an interview for a job or 
for anything else because I know how to do it now. Whereas if it were two years ago, I had no idea what I was doing. <laughs> Absolutely no clue. Is that the biggest change you'd say from like looking back from before you started this process two years ago? Is it confidence and drive? What do you think the, the pageant scene has brought to you? I think my drive has always been there, but I think it's definitely been my confidence. And mm-hmm. it's been the fact that I've been able to alleviate the symptoms of depression and anxiety that I've experienced so long in my life. When I came out of that situation when I was 11 years old, I came out and I had depression, I had anxiety, panic anxiety to be exact. Right. And I also had a severely strip cage. So moving to an entirely new state after that was even scarier for me. If you're forced to be on stage and you're walking in an evening gown, you are amazed by how slow it actually is <laughs> when you're walking on stage. So if you're walking in an evening gown or you're going into an interview, you have to be very confident in what you're saying because you can tell if you're not. If you stutter or if you can't think of exactly what you want to say, they know that you're not exactly confident in what they've asked you. So it forces you to develop that confidence and also So with fitness, for instance, you have to be, regardless of your stature, you have to be confident with how you are because that's one of the other misconceptions. There's so many misconceptions. As far as swimsuit and fitness go, it's less about your actual body shape and more about your confidence and how you hold yourself and present yourself. Because honestly, that's what you want to teach today's youth. You don't have to teach them a perfect body type. You have to teach them to be confident in whatever your body type is, whether that's stronger, bulkier, or whether you're a little overweight or you're underweight, whatever that is, you have to be comfortable in who you are as long as that's how you're most confident. I've realized that I'm far less insecure than I used to be. I don't have panic attacks as often as I used to, and I am far less depressed than I used to be when I first left that situation at 11 years old. And now as a 17-year-old, I'm able to look back and say, you know, how much I've grown. I could not be sitting here with you right now two years ago be having a conversation (laughs) and be like, "Um, yes. No. <laughs> sure. Maybe. <laughs> I could maybe make a pun here and there, but that's essentially it. <laughs> I still make puns, but that hasn't changed. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing that hasn't changed. Kind of roving back to the public perception side of things. I was really impressed. Earlier, you created that hashtag, don't bash the sash, which I felt was a really good response to what was happening. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Hashtag don't bash the sash came out of the situation regarding Sam Haskell and the previous board of Miss America organization. The reason why I developed that was the fact that because of the public misconceptions that we have and because of the situations at hand with some of the things that were being said by the previous board, people were starting to assume, or at least I felt that they were starting to assume, that one person's ideas reflected a group's, and that's not true. You always have the issue of collateral damage, and I feel that the organization was that collateral damage from that, and it kind of fed into people's misconceptions that we were cutthroat and that we didn't support each other, and I decided to start the hashtag don't the sash where either title holders or people who have met title holders could post former title holders as well about their most favorite thing that they've ever done community service wise to show people that it's more than just a beauty pageant we are supportive of each other and we're supportive of our community and so one of the things that i posted was some of my visits that i've done to children's miracle network hospitals because those are what inspired me most and some other girls posted about the things that they've done for their platform or reading to kids and i've seen some people post about what they've seen other title holders do like even just something as simple as picking things up for an older woman who's on the street that Mm -hmm. dropped it in the middle of it that kind of thing just little things that anybody can do to kind of show people that we're people too. We're just doing 
things for our community and anybody can do that you don't have to have a crown and sash just mm-hmm. to put together an event you don't need that and hopefully that's been spread through the hashtag that i created where do you feel like the perception of mental health is right now in this country i think that there's definitely a stigma surrounding it more so now than ever to be honest because it's like that elephant in the room that nobody wants to talk about and even now there are actually jokes that are made about it and i think a lot of that is trying to cover up real things and real issues. For me, I'm just trying to help the general public. And I feel like that starts with education. And that's why I started the curriculum, because one of the things that I always ask in the beginning of my presentations that I do is how many people have seen somebody use CPR or have had to use CPR before? Maybe three or four people raise their hands out of 30. And then I say, well, how many of you have had a family member or a friend or you yourself have experienced depression or anxiety or any number of mental or emotional health disorders? How many of you have a cousin that has Down syndrome? And you always see almost the entire class raise their hands. Mm. But in your health classes, you're taught CPR, but you're not taught about mental and emotional health. So why are we avoiding the elephant in the room when it's something that everyone experiences at some point in their life, whether it's themselves or someone else that they could help? To me, it's just a general education when you're younger, even if it's just simple things. It doesn't have to be in depth, but something that someone can start to begin to understand what other people are going through and what they themselves are going through. And I think that's also a means of teaching, quote unquote, teaching empathy, because you can't necessarily teach empathy, but you can teach people how to put themselves in other people's shoes. If they see that someone else is hurting and they understand that this is something that's far more than just hurt feelings, then that can also start to help peer victimization and things of the sort. It's a lot of fires being put out at once just by educating our youth. And it doesn't have to start in middle school or high school. It can start in elementary school just with little things and then branch out as they get older. But I think it's something that because of the state of our country and because of the fact that actually violence and mental health disorders, emotional disorders as well, are all rising at the same rate. So when you relate the fact that there are these people who are hurting versus the fact that there is violence more prominently in the country at the same rate, it's kind of hard to say that there's no correlation there. Now more than ever, I feel like we need to start educating our youth. And that's what I'm doing through my curriculum. So to get people to not just treat the symptoms, but recognize the symptoms and then look for the actual cause. Right. And I know that part of what helped me was the fact that I was able to understand what was happening to me. Part of it is like not understanding your emotions, especially when you are young, because you haven't been taught anything about it. You haven't had a psych class. You haven't even had a health class when you're really young. And you don't understand what those feelings are. You don't understand why you feel horrible all the time. You don't understand why you cry all the time. You Mm -hmm. don't understand why you get angry so easily. And it's confusing and that just adds to the pressure. So when you're taught about something like that, just understanding what's happening helps at least a little bit. When you're able to help yourself and you're able to help other people as well, that's what I think is the most important. If someone knows someone that's dealing with mental illness or depression and they're unwilling to get help or don't know how to get help, what advice would you give to that person? There's actually a saying that we all go by. It's called algae and, you know, each letter stands for something. One of them is to give reassurance and information. What you always want to do is you want to make sure that they know that you're there for them. That if they don't feel comfortable talking to somebody else, if they don't feel comfortable talking to a parent or a guardian, then my personal opinion is to give them reassurance that you're there because a lot of people, that's what they need. They need somebody to, I heard this quote one time that they want to talk about their depression like you talk about your flu. If you walk in and you have the flu, you're perfectly fine with saying, oh, I'm so congested, I'm so tired, and you're fine with that. But someone with depression walks in, if somebody said something like that to you, like, I just feel really down today, you know, a lot of people would shy away from that Mm -hmm. for whatever reason that is. I would just say to reassure them that you're there for them if they need someone to talk to and to give them information in case they do eventually feel comfortable with that. So you give them the suicide hotline, for instance. 
instance, you give them some numbers for therapists as well. It's just something that you should always have on you just in case. And I would also say, depending on the situation, you should always assess for the risk of suicide or harm, which Mm -hmm. is also part of that saying that we use. If you feel that that person is a harm to themselves, but they don't want to get help, they still need that help. If you really feel like they could harm themselves or somebody else, you want to stay with them, of course, but you also want to make sure that you get help. But you don't want to leave them alone in between that because Mm -hmm. they could easily go and find somewhere else and run away, and then you don't know where they are. Even if you have to get somebody else to go get help, you have to stay with them at that time. I would say assess for risk of suicide or harm, and then afterwards give them reassurance and information. Do you wish it was, or maybe this is an issue or perceived issue, do you think it's too hard for some people to find a therapist or a psychologist to speak with? I think it's less that as much as just they're scared of the stigma. I think Mm -hmm. that it's more so that I think that it is a lack of information to some degree, but if they really, really need it, there are plenty of places you can go. You know, you have the internet now and you're capable of getting that information if you truly need it. And of course, you can always talk to a school counselor or even a counselor at a hospital, et cetera, like just to get the best names that you can. So there are still ways of getting that information, but I think a lot of it is the fact that they don't want to be looked at like they're crazy, which I completely understand. You don't want to be looked at like you're a downer. Like Mm -hmm. if somebody hangs out with you, that they're going to just be upset the whole time because you're down. It doesn't mean that you're sad the whole time. It just means that you have depression. You go into those bouts of just agony. I would say it's more the stigma than anything. We've touched on some serious stuff. You're at parades, right? You're riding in the car. Have you had any mishaps or interesting stories from some of the parades you've been at? I've had one particular mishap, but I can't mention that on radio. Um, (laughs) We're on a podcast. (laughs) Yeah, right. Exactly. But I will say that parades are really fun for me because I feel like if you just sit there and wave, it gets kind of boring. And I feel like that just feeds into the stereotype a little bit because it's like then they feel like you're on a pedestal, like that kind of thing. And I've always felt uncomfortable with that. And I feel like to me, it's not just that, but it's also that I just feel awkward to just stand there and go hello like and just wave my hand every parade that i'm in i always yell at like the audience and i'm always like hey are you guys excited for the parade if you're excited then yell on three one two three and then i'll go to the other side and ask if they can beat them <laughs> so then it just ends up really loud <laughs> but it's so much fun it is so much fun to get people involved and then there are some people that are like you can see it recognized on their face that they're just like oh yeah she is a normal person she's goofing off she's really fun like that kind of thing because when you're just silent and you're just waving no one gets any personality out of you and i feel like you're representing your title the best way to do that is to show your personality so that's kind of how i've been able to do that through parades but like ah it's so much fun and there was okay i do have one story there was a little kid in this parade And he ran out, like the car's almost gone. And he ran out of the crowd and went, I love you, and starts <laughs> blowing kisses at me. <laughs> I, he, this little kid's like three years old or something like that. <laughs> and I blow a kiss back at him, and he just goes, <laughs> like, he gasps and sits down. <laughs> and he, you have to he take was, a five. He was like, <laughs> it's so cute. Oh my golly, it's so <laughs> funny. I love interacting with little kids like that because once you put a shiny crown on for some reason, they just automatically are like have this massive crush on you. And it's hilarious <laughs> to watch because some of them will be like that and then some of them will be really bashful and they're like hide behind their mom. Peeking out behind. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and they're just like, oh, look. One of the things that I remember the most, like when we met a couple months back, then it did stick out is your love of puns. Where did you get that from? And what are some of your favorite puns? Okay, yeah, everyone hates me because of my puns. I've decided that that's why. (laughs) 
I've always loved puns, and I'm not entirely sure why. I think I just have a terrible sense of humor. But I just have a very sarcastic or dry sense of humor. So when somebody makes a pun, I don't know what it is about the pun, but I think it's hilarious. What is one of my favorite puns? Um, Some are not okay to say on a podcast. I heard one the other day that made me chuckle. I bought a pair of sneakers from a drug dealer. I don't know what he laced these things with, but I've been tripping all day. (laughs) I I saw that one before. Oh, my gosh. I have so many really cheesy ones, but I want to give you a really good one. Oh, feel free. Okay, I can hit you with a couple of cheese. I used to hate my beard, but then it grew on me. (laughs) What did the egg say to the other egg? You're excellent. No, you crack me up. Ah, there we go. (laughs) (laughs) What did the bat say to the other bat? What? How's it hanging? Oh. <laughs> yes. There we you go. You looked at me like you had no idea where that was going. I was, I was like, like what? what? What's a good bat pun? Like, yeah, so puns. <laughs> so, so puns. So I'll, I'll tell you. On my show, I do a trivia challenge. And the other night, it said, what is something that people who make over 60000 or something dollars a year all have in common? And it's an analog of puns. There's a direct connection to people who are more financially successful and they love puns. So just keep that in mind. I'm going to tell everyone that. There we go. Feel free. <laughs> Next time someone makes fun of me for making puns, I'm just going to say, you know what? <laughs> when I'm financially successful in the future, you'll know. <laughs> this was the key. <laughs> <laughs> it's just loving puns. Maybe oh. I'll just be a comedian. Do a, a charity stand-up fest. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Okay, I make jokes on stage all the time. All the time. All the time. It doesn't matter if it's a pageant or if it's, like, playing music, whatever it is. I always make a pun. (laughs) And whenever I do it, I'm pretty sure 70% of the laughs I get are pity. It's nice, though, because I'm like, at least it wasn't 100% pity laughs. (laughs) I got that 30% out there. (laughs) I got the 30% of people who respect my puns. (laughs) Ish. Oh, that's awesome. Well, thank you so much for your time. I end every interview with the exact same question. What has you excited about the future? What are you looking forward to this year? What am I looking forward to this year? I'm excited to turn 18. I am excited to go to college. I'm going to Penn State University Park to study psychology. And I'm just excited for some new opportunities. I'm excited to go meet new people. That's the thing that I'm most excited about with college is the fact that you get to go somewhere where nobody knows you from Adam and you get to kind of have that restart. I think that's what I'm probably most excited about this year, to be honest. Bonus question. If you get your degree and you start your practice, will you have a couch or a comfort chair? A couch. Everyone deserves a nap every once in a while. (laughs) Thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you.